This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to Spear Factor. Today I speak with Eric Anderson from Central California discussing with us what life is like for guys in that region where they have to deal with harsh conditions sometimes as well as big sharks. Also, I wanted to take the time to say thank you to everybody that listens to the show uh, for all your kind words and support over the uh, last year. And uh, this year, hopefully, we'll continue to keep growing and get some good shows out to you guys. Thanks again. We also have some new sponsors and some new deals from our sponsors for you guys. Uh, so first, let's start off with uh, Acaso Cameras. Uh, I can get... 15% off to you guys, Fear Factor listeners. If you go to the link on the website, click on it. There's a promo code there. Uh, apply that promo code and it'll give you 15% off. And, you know, in my humble opinion, really, really good cameras that are damn near as good as GoPros with about a fourth of the cost. So it's kind of a nice thing to have. If you lose it, you're not going to be out 400 bucks or whatever they are nowadays. The next sponsor is uh, Hot Rod Spear Guns. You guys know I've been working with Paul at Hot Rod for a while. He gave us 10% off with promo code SPEARFACTOR. Pretty awesome. Thank you, Paul. And Chimera Side Slip. So Chimera Side Slip, you can purchase those at Chimera Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before in the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And our last sponsor is One Drop Spearfishing. Basically, a, an environmentally minded group of guys that love to dive live and breathe it but their whole focus is feeding friends and family and enjoying their time in the water nothing more nothing less um, solid group of guys and uh, check out their website one drop spearfishing check them out on youtube one drop spearfishing and if you'd like to uh, sponsor spear factor podcast feel free uh you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Spear Factor. Today, we're going to welcome uh, a uh, Santa Cruz area diver, uh, Central California, uh, Mr. Eric Anderson. Uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Brett. Appreciate yeah. you having me on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed that kind of funny story. Kind of, I, I noticed you were tagging me on some stuff, and uh, and uh, I thought you kind of had a unique story, just because 
I've talked to some of my Hawaiian friends and when they say you're diving like down here and we dive in Merck or whatever, they think we're crazy because there's great whites everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's for the Northern guys. That's not for me. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, can you give us a little bit of information about your background? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, originally from Chico, California, if you know the beer scene in Nevada, you know that area well. And um, after high school, didn't have a lot of direction. You know, college wasn't really in the cards. So uh, took a jump off the deep end, joined the Marine Corps. My grandfather had been a Marine for 25 years. He retired, did two tours in Vietnam. My dad was in the Navy for 20 years. So I had a lot of military background and and it was always kind of in my back pocket as plan D, so I jumped right, <laughs> right into it. Um, but after that, uh, met a woman, Marissa, um, when I had about four, four years into five total for the Marine Corps. And, and um, you know, her dad really got me into diving and spearfishing. And that's, that's how I started getting in the water. And that was back in 2013. Started with a scuba certification. Quickly realized scuba and spear guns is not the sportiest <laughs> <laughs> mixture in my opinion so quickly after a lot of ab diving jumped right into free diving just uh and i've been solely free diving for about three years now so did your uh did your wife's uh your dad he had been diving for a long time or yeah he yeah. uh him and his buddies have been diving since the late 60s had gone on you know a lot of trips for bug diving um did spear fishing but mostly just northern california lingcod Never really gotten to, you know, sea bass or yellowtail or anything like that. But um, listening to his stories is really what got me hooked. And then as soon as I got in the water and started exploring around and had that bit of adrenaline rush, it's like, oh, this is for me. So <laughs> it was really gangbusters from there. Nice, nice. So then, um, so that you said that was 2013. Yeah, and that's you when I got, got your cert. Yeah, you got your cert. Um, so tell us about how your Marine Corps experience um, you think like kind of blends in or supports or whatever, how do you think it plays into your diving? Oh, yeah. It's kind of, um, for me, it's twofold. It's, it's therapy, but it's also the gear prep, the, the mission mindset that kind of just the night before getting amped up. I can't, I can't help myself. My wife thinks I'm nuts. I've converted my garage into a dive shop. I've got spear guns and, you know, spear rubber and everything all over the place. So, you know, it's, um, I'm a gear guy. I dive with a tourniquet and pretty good kit on my belt, pretty streamlined, but not too much. And then, um, you know, when I, once I get in the water, then I'm kind of on autopilot. I immediately feel comfortable. I'm relaxed. I know what I'm after, but I'm also having a good time diving with a buddy. And kind of that teamwork of you know one up one down moving around checking the reef calling things out um it's exactly what i did in the military just a different environment far different environment really. no that's that's a solid point because uh you know like we were talking about before that kind of that kind of hits home for me too because like most of my dive buddies are in the service now or or whatever and it's like yeah the whole one up one down thing uh, I still hear I, I he I'm up he sees me I'm down all in my head like <laughs> or by, all that stuff but um yeah I think exactly what you're talking about the camaraderie and the teamwork and um, so when you talk about gear prep though so I have my little way and I kind of I bet it's pretty similar to you like so how do you do your gear prep the night before like what do you do yeah so I've got one of these um, waterproof bags a 60 liter bag it's just got one side pocket and one big pocket so um when i hang my gear up i've got a couple racks everything has a spot uh, most often than not i'll pack it after it's dry just so it's ready to go but sometimes you know i might i don't like letting bands go for more than three four months if i've got the material i'll, I'll tune them up tie new bands get things ready check my shooting line if i got mono check my crimps um, the worst thing in the world is putting in all the effort you get on the reef, you spent four hours diving, you finally find the fish you're looking for, you line up the shot and your shit <laughs> breaks or tears off or your, something as simple as your flopper wasn't tuned and it just pulls right off the shaft. Um, that's happened to me a couple of times. So it's always just, you know, checking everything over, even if I think it's good to go. Can't help myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, those are all important things. Uh, you know, I, was, I told one of my buddies when we first started going offshore, uh for dog tooth i told him like 
hey, I, I've seen it with Bluefin. Like if there's a kink in your armor, it is going to get exposed very, very quickly. So like bulletproof everything. Um, I over-engineer everything. I don't want to say over-engineer, but like overdo everything. If I put like, like exactly what you said with the, with the, um, with the, uh, with the flopper, like that little thing could mean the mm -hmm. difference between, well, you know how it is when you hit a fish. I think all you guys out there too, like when you hit a fish, it's like, yeah. And then it's extreme <laughs> low and you just like, you know, just pissed. Uh, oh, yeah. anyways, <laughs> so you dive, where do you tell everybody where you dive mostly? Yeah. So, um, you know, 90% of my diving is in the Santa Cruz area, which is, you know, shallow continental shelf, uh, max depth to most of the diving is 40 feet. Um, it's murky, it's dirty. Uh, there's a lot of sand and shale. There's some good, you know, rocks and ledges. And if you can line up, you know, the right water, when there's a little bit of current, you know, you know where to hunt on the head of the reef. You can line up some, you know, good rockfish like vermilions, um, kelp rockfish, grass rockfish, and then of course cabazon and lingcod. There's other species of fish out here that guys go after. Um, you know, I've spent countless hours in the sand with three foot of viz trying to find a halibut. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent. <laughs> uh, I still give I still give it the the good college try when when the water looks good. Um, but you know, you got to be comfortable with, uh, diving by braille and knowing that, you know, you got a 35 foot drop, you're not going to see the bottom till you're five feet from it. And then, um, you know, the way that we dive here, at least me and my buddy, I don't really dive with anybody, but a good buddy, Aiden Brown, because I know he's got my back. We both, um, we dive with tourniquets because of the shark presence. Um, but we know each other's bottom time. We know exactly, you know, at 30 feet, we should be down for about 45 seconds to a minute because we're working so hard. Um, that's the that's the difference too is you have to spend a lot of time really trying to find that good structure when you have the visibility that's so low and when you find it it's funny the, um, more often than not when we actually line up one of us and shoot a fish it's because the other called out the structure ahead so when i come back up i let them know i'm like you know hook a 90 degree there's a shelf that goes about 10 feet looks like a hole that's about eight foot back it's almost like uh, an ad track you know alert direction description from the military and then he immediately goes down. He knows what he's looking for. Uh, he looks in the hole. He comes up. I, I hear his shot. You know, we, we wear GoPros, so we like to, you know, get big, cool video footage and stuff. It's always fun to, to recap the dive and then share it. But, you know, we got a good system. So it's, it's uh, speechless communication when we're out there, definitely. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that's mostly overlooked. Some people don't know, you know, diving with a buddy. I remember first diving, and you're like, yeah, I'm diving with a buddy. But when you have like a real buddy, like yeah. it is on point, like everybody exactly. is like tuned in exactly what you're doing. You're all on the same page. Even if you separate slightly, you know exactly what's going on. And mm -hmm. then, uh, yeah, so yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you. So striped yeah. bass, do you go for striped bass up there or is that more north? No, there, there's areas around here, like in the Monterey area, those beaches and stuff. And there's a couple of guys that have really honed in on them and, and, and nailed them. Uh, I've tried a few times. I think I've seen a white flash, <laughs> but but I haven't really spent a lot of time doing it. That, that's the other thing is, you know, it really comes down uh, the guys in this sport that become very successful. It's, it's time. It's when they've been able to, you know, get to a point in their life, have the time or they have the time now. I have two kids, uh, seven and two. And then we also decided during COVID to throw in a, a golden retriever puppy into the mix. <laughs> So, so it's always, you know, it, it's the trade-off, but um, that's why I really enjoy diving local. You figure these reefs out in the ecosystem, and, and when you get a two, three-hour window, you can capitalize and come home with some, some meat. Yeah, I was talking to a friend, Chris, uh, and he was saying, you know, when you don't have a boat, like, you basically <laughs> just do your shore dive from your exactly, one spot. Yeah. And you know that spotlight. But the cool thing about that is you see the different shades of that spotlight. Mm -hmm. Where why was it fishy today? And why was it it's not like necessarily like, oh, this spot's really fishy. No, it's just when you go to one spot, you can see how a spot can turn on with the tide yeah. and all of that. Yeah, you get really dialed. Um and it seems like up there with the weather being the way it is and the conditions being the way it is, that's something it's really important to learn. Yeah. Diving. Yeah. Yeah. And like I went out yesterday 
and we just got a pocket of swell where it's it's reporting one to two foot for about five days so that last fourth or fifth day should be the best because it's so calm it's like a pond stuff's going to settle but you know we hit the front end of that after some swell and it was a piece too i mean it was five foot of biz but it, it, it's a lot of shallow diving too 20 25 feet and you're just taking your time and you know you're working a system and and you know we're calling things out and you, you finally find a fish but you got to put in, <laughs> put in some work it's a workout for sure so um what is your 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 most prized fish up to this point like for you that you, i think you were the most like proud of you know where you came home just glowing like i did it you know <laughs> it's um you know big ling cod are great to find in northern california there's there's a lot of guys that have been hammering them i don't know if you've heard of red triangle or uh, red triangle spearfishing oh yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah that crew they get up there and just nail them along the sonoma and mendocino coast um i used to do a lot of abalone diving and had chances or you know a reason to really drive that far seven eight hours north and during those times back from 13 to about 2000 yeah 17 till the till the season closed got some better links in the 20 22 pound range around here you know like a 12 or 15 pound lane cut is pretty solid fish but eating wise um i really prefer a capazone because they eat you know abalone crab octopus um kind of the whole package of one fish um, and they're very abundant you know i passed on a lot i shot two yesterday but I see so many all the time. Um, so you pass on ones in the 17, 18 inch range. And once you think they're about 20 plus, then, you know, those are the mature fish and, and take those off the reef and they're excellent table fare, whether you, you know, grill them up or fish and chips for the kids. Both my boys like uh, fish sticks and things. So I, yeah, you know, it's nice to have fresh fish and not pay 17 bucks a pound at the store for it. Um, could you share with everybody uh, Cabazone? Some people don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Cabazone is, um, if a lingcod was an iguana, this thing's a toad. It's just, uh, they're big heads. Um, they don't have teeth. They have some big grinding pads in the back to crush um, crab and abalone shells. I've shot Cabazone that have had six, like two-inch ab shells in its gut. I mean, just gorging on them. It's, it's pretty amazing. And the shells just break down by their stomach acid. So if you get lucky, you get one and you can find like a polished ab shell. Um, they look similar to a linka. They don't have scales that have that real smooth skin. And they can have the blue meat sometimes. I think that's from like an enzyme in their liver or something. But most often than not, the meat's white, but it's that white flaky meat. Um, it's great for fish and chips. Um, I've got a really good recipe with uh, Chardonnay, lemon and capers and butter. and great <laughs> are they the ones with the uh poisonous uh eggs or is yeah that, yeah that's right yeah um they've got poisonous eggs they got some spines on them it's actually the rockfish that have um the big yeah. spine yeah the sculpin right yeah. or yeah sculpin and then there's um some other they're kind of like a, in the sculpin uh family they look like a giant sculpin basically they are yeah but um, yeah, it's funny you're targeting a fish that has poisonous eggs. <laughs> so, just a weird, it's weird thing. <laughs> really odd. I don't know. I don't know what it is about them, but um, their, their lifestyle is probably because they don't they don't swim around a lot. Rarely do you see them out and about. They're always on the bottom, just settled in. But and they don't even like to move, really. Even when like, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember diving at work and like almost putting my hand on that and the sculpins and like almost putting my hand on it, like get out of here. And then uh, I remember they have just ferocious appetites too. Like we, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we like fed one a whole mackerel, like a big <laughs> mac, like a like a, you know, I mean smaller mackerel, but it ate a mackerel. And I was like, oh my god, like, thing. Yeah. Um, but they are delicious. That's for sure. They are. They're good eating. Um, and then other fish too, the rockfish, like olive rockfish, um, kelp rockfish, black, blues. Um, in this area, we get um, the other one I really like to target is grass rockfish. To me, they almost look more like a grouper, more like a bass really than a rockfish. Um, and they can get pretty big. I've shot them, you know, almost pushed in six pounds, which is pretty solid fish for, for around this area. Is that, is that different than the olive rockfish? Um, yeah the olives they have um they sit more in the water column okay i found them pretty shallow they'll, they'll hang out a little bit deeper 
Um, they'll school up, but more often than not, they'll kind of insert themselves in like big schools of blacks and blues. But uh, the grass rockfish are kind of like a cabazon. They just sit on the bottom. They really hunker down, um, little ambush predators, but they're really good eating. You know, it's those uh, rockfish that have the bigger shoulders, a little more fillet on them that, that are, you know, you want to target. <laughs> yeah. So describe like your, like, you know, obviously we talk about low vis and stuff, but describe uh, your equipment where you're using, because it's very distinct and different when you're doing that kind of hunting. Yeah. Um, I, I pretty much load up a full quiver every time I go to the water because um, I've had days where I scout the night before and it looks like it's going to be crappy, you know, five foot. And I show up with a 28 inch gun and it's 20 foot fits um, overnight. It can change quickly. So I've got um, a 36 inch mid handle. That's really my go-to by Captain Bly spear guns. Thing's amazing. Just absolute battle axe. Um, the thing will go through the side of a Honda and a Capstone's head, no problem. And then um, I'm not a big guy and spending a ton of money, so I, I really just run Rob Allen's. Those things are great. You beat them to hell. I'm always diving, you know, bad biz and the surge. They bang up, um, and then they get the job done. I've used other guns, um, but the Rob Allen just never seems to fail. You take it apart. You can put a new cartridge in the center and, and change it out. And their whole kind of Kevlar, I don't know what it is, some sort of nylon Kevlar mix with the plastic the stuff's indestructible really so hats off to that guy and you know when he designed everything you listen to him talk he designed these guns that we use regularly over here for lingcod to shoot you know yellowtails and big game fish over in south africa so they're they're built you know like a diesel and, and operate like a like a sports car to me so and then um the last the last thing i like to use recently is um the pole spear gaku makes a, a solid pole spear and i use the seven footer and you know in shallow water and the thick kelp it can be kind of a pain to maneuver around but we have the viz and you can make the right approach it's a lot of fun i find it really rewarding to land a fish on a pole spear um, absolutely yeah to, you know a regular gun so i never hunted with a pole spear other than when i was little and then uh we went on a trip last year and i uh I think I uh, I shot a yellowtail, you know, with the pole spear, and I was like so stoked on it. I was like, <laughs> yeah. And it's usually if I had a gun, I'd be like whatever. But I was like, oh, all right, cool. I'm like a real hunter now. Wow. You know? <laughs> um, no, it's funny. I started with one, um, one of those cheap like orange or blue ones when I first got into it. Before I bought a gun, my father-in-law was like, you know, go get a pole spear, go hunt around the reef. You know, you'll figure it out. Um, and then it's funny how you come back to it a little bit just just for the challenge. You know, it gets sometimes, you know, after a couple of fish in a hole and it doesn't move and you pop it, like, all right, let's let's change it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think it was. Uh, for us, it was like, okay, I've only, you know, how many more 10 pound? They're like, there's a giant school of 10 pound, like yellowtail. And it's like, okay, uh, yeah, give me the, give me the pole spear. Let me try to just get this see if I can just do this to check this off. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a blast. It's, I think it makes you a better hunter though, too, because you have yep. to really try to work everything you can and, and really pay attention to the way the fish are acting. But um, yeah, it's funny you talk about not spending money. I mean, you have children, so there goes that yeah. too. But uh, <laughs> um, the biggest thing you're diving in that, in that viz when it, when it's bad, what are some tips and things that you do that, uh, you guys have kind of modified to help you dive. Yeah, I'd say the first thing is um, a high vis float line, something that you can see really well, white or yellow, uh, at least 50 foot. Um, that way, when you're down and you find something good, some structure, some hole, or you actually mark a fish, um, you know, you want to be able to find it again. You come back to the surface, it's you drift around, it's it's tough. Uh, the other thing would be a really good flashlight. There's a bunch out there. Um, Dark Waters makes an awesome one. Um, the V11, that thing, um, lights up holes. The only thing in dirty water, sometimes you get a lot of backscatter. So it's good to have that lower yes. setting. You can use the 750. So, you know, it, sometimes it can white out a whole hole and you can't really see much. So, you know, dial it down a bit. Um, and I'd also say, you know, buddy diving um, is, is key. You know, having a guy, he's helping you out. You're working in a team. Uh, you know, whether he finds something, you know, calls it out to me or vice versa, 
um, you know, watching each other's back and then having a float line is the only way you can really see each other because in 30, 35 foot of water, you can't see them down there. You see some bubbles, but you really have yeah. no idea. Where and then, you know, he pops up 30 feet away from you. You weren't really watching them <laughs> at all. Um, so it, it's really just, um, it's a bit of an art, <laughs> dirty water diving, uh, but you do it a lot. You get used to it. And really just the first thing is you have to be comfortable. You have to be comfortable not seeing the bottom. And then when you start to make a dive, not seeing the bottom till you get there. Uh, so it's not for everybody, but we make it work. <laughs> yeah, I know there's like a lot of uh, talking to yourself you do as you drop, where it's like, yeah. okay, all right, all right, <laughs> I should be coming up. There it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, one thing I found too that works pretty good, like we would use at work, we would always use drop clumps a lot, where it's like just a line with a weight on it and. If you found something, you could drop it there and then you could go down and you'd literally just be like, because the vis is so bad, mm -hmm. you'd be right next to the drop clump most of the time, like, so that you can still dive with a reel if you wanted to, but yeah. you had that as a reference point for your buddy to go get you if something were to happen. Yeah. Um, no, so that, but I also saw a video recently, a friend sent me from, uh, central california and the viz was amazing he was in big sur yeah and it was amazing and it was like uh i've never scored anything like that before but um big sur was pretty incredible i was like damn there's a lot of life out there yeah if you can find some good spots a lot of guys find some spots they can hike into um but there's some public access area around uh, kirk creek or mill creek that's a little lower uh or you know lower big sur but I've had days there with five foot of viz and I've had days there with 50 foot of viz, um, you know, crystal clear water. It was incredible. So it's just, it's an awesome area. Totally agree. <laughs> so how would you describe like, let's say central California for your diving? Some people consider it Northern, I guess, but um, for our argument, for our reference, I guess I consider it like San Francisco and North, like <laughs> yeah. the real, like, you know, um, how would you describe that compared to like where those red triangle guys are diving? Is the bottom yeah. much different? Is it different or is it just a little bit harsher uh, conditions or is there much difference when you're traveling, say, seven hours north versus yeah. where you're at? Yeah. So I'd say the Sonoma Coast has some areas that can be pretty similar to Big Sur, but Big Sur has real steep cliffs and some areas that can get deep real fast. Um, but what I've seen in Big Sur, the structure there is a lot of big boulders. You can tell that, you know, over time, the coast is just, you know, dropped into the water and that becomes a structure. Um, up in Santa Cruz is real shallow water. It's dirty, it's silty, it's sandy. Um, same in Half Moon Bay. But when you get up past San Francisco and you start getting to the Sonoma Coast, you can get some areas that um, look real silty and milky. But then right next to it, there'll be a fine line of current. You can see an open patch that goes into some tentacles, you know, offshore or something that's coming up out of the water and can open up biz. And then Mendocino can look really similar to Carmel, where you get real deep water fast. And it's just got those big rolling rocks and structure, you know, schools of fish are piling up on them. Um, and then up near Shelter Cove, the Lost Coast, that area, if you can get up there by boat, um, it's an awesome abalone area. It's excellent for diving and fishing. Um, and it's crazy. I've had days where the viz was a foot and you're literally diving by braille. So your bar hits the bottom to look for abs. And, you know, you always have your spear gun if you see a, a decent fish and then you move a hundred feet. And I've had a clear line of water where then it was like 50 foot viz. It was incredible. <laughs> Uh, I, and I think I that's I think that's from all the rivers and the runoff and the way they yeah so many rivers up there and yeah, yeah that lost yeah. coast is incredible yeah it's awesome and then there's some you know you can tell where there's some kind of spillways of rocks coming in the water and washing it up but um, it's hit and miss but those red triangle guys they capitalize I don't think it matters <laughs> with those guys they just <laughs> go fish. they they I mean. It, it, it all comes down to, you know, your schedule. For me, um, if I can squeeze in a quick dive on the weekends or, you know, yesterday I, I took time off work just <laughs> to be able to go dive and do a little bit of diving. Um, but those guys seem to get out there and just nail it. And then, you, you know, you got so many spots when you have the time to do some scouting and checking things out. 
So I get down up there when I can. I get down to Big Sur if I have the time, but most of my diving's real local. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. How's the uh, kelp forest in your area? Um, are it's there... awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, it's super thick, um, real healthy, a lot of abalone and fish. Um, you know, over the last five or six years, I'd say it's it's gotten better that I've seen. And then there's areas of California that have just been completely decimated, like Fort Ross, um, Salt Point, Van Dam State Beach, um, a lot of the beaches near Mendocino Headlands and areas of Shelter Cove, you know, complete kelp forests that were a hundred yards long and thick enough to almost walk across are just gone. Um, it's pretty crazy to see. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, keeping up with the closure of the ab season and then um, just listening to a few TED Talks, podcasts, my own personal reading, um, you know, water, uh, temperatures rising, uh, ocean acidification, um there's a big shift in the ecosystem i don't know if it's cyclical or not but with all these urchins coming in and just destroying the kelp because that's what that's what they eat and that's what the abalone eat and when you lose the kelp forest it disperses all that other life that used it as you know the canopy in the home and um now you dive just these areas that you just kick as far as you can and it's just barren wasteland with minimal fish and covered in urchin but um I saw a Forbes article um, actually the other day written by a local diver around here in Monterey. Um, and she was talking about how there's, uh, it seems a like commercial industry is really starting to boom a little bit in only California for the urchin. And hopefully that, you know, helps cull some of this issue, but um, it's a mixed bag, but I've seen it firsthand and a lot of guys have too. And it's just, it's a bummer to, to not only be able to go after the abalone anymore, but, you know, the impact it also has on the other ecosystems as well. Do you guys get a uh, sheep's head that far north at all? Is it mainly Point Conception or? Um, guys, I haven't shot one. I know some guys who have hit them in Monterey and Carmel area. Yeah. Um, they get them in Big Sur. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if one's made it in Santa Cruz. I just haven't seen it because he hasn't come within five feet. <laughs> no, that's, that's interesting. I, um, and I think that's a, it kind of brings up a weird point, a good point too, with the ocean that you mentioned cyclical and it's like, uh, we really haven't been studying the ocean with any kind of like real data for very long. So, yeah. um, and I know just from looking at surf records and like having been big into surfing and seeing like when all the El Nino's were and then like, um, like, uh, so these El Ninos, everything seems to be happening more and more and more and more and more. Yeah. Is it, or is it just actually being recorded? So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I don't know either way. I've just always interest. It interests me a lot because I mean, just this week, someone caught a striped Marlin off La Jolla on a half day boat. And it's like, what? <laughs> I mean, I sh yeah. I shot a calico bass in Santa Cruz two weeks ago. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, I, I, I saw it coming in the sand. It came about eight feet away, did a fin flare and looked right at me. And I, for a second, I was like, that's a calico. What the hell? You know, you know that's not a species you see up here, but guys are shooting trigger fish and spotted bass in Monterey. And, yeah. um, and there was, I remember there's a bluefin boom out here. Um, guys have been nailing bluefin not far offshore here in Monterey Bay. And then I think it was two years ago, there's a town called Davenport about 10 miles north of Santa Cruz. And they were catching yellowtail not far offshore, so random. Um, yeah, it's interesting how these pockets of fish just make it. They follow a current and they just keep going. And then, and then and they either make it up here. And the cyclical point, too, is like, because um, I've thought about it a little bit, I wonder... 
uh, are these ocean patterns that have happened over long periods of time and are we accelerating that so now they're happening more often in shorter periods of time or it, are we actually changing weather patterns and ecosystems um is it that kind of impact or maybe it's both um, yeah i don't know but there's something going on that's for sure <laughs> yeah i know and it's it's funny because when you spend you know a, a huge amount of time in the water it's like i don't know about data but i do know something's going on yeah exactly. like we got 400 pound uh bluefin off the coast and my <laughs> first thing is that oh wow the population's coming back but according to everybody like no we're decimating yeah. the population of bluefin so why the hell is there a 400 pound bluefin off the coast here when they're usually on the other side of the ocean you know in the smaller yeah. ones but i mean then there was the, in 1982 they, they had a big boom of bluefin too that was like caught off here and it's like it's just interesting to me because i really don't have any answers but it sure yeah. begs the question like what the hell is going on like yeah yeah and in you know the one thing with the ab closure um that i did see a little bit is you know sort of the the wreck guys the the divers the, the sportsmen who are out working with the scientists and sharing information whether they actually take into consideration i don't know but i saw a little bit of it and i think that needs to happen more often you know it's it's um you can you can study something and you can have scheduled dives and go look at it but when you actually live it and you're and you're in the ecosystem once a week and you're exploring it and you're understanding it and you're in um you know you see it firsthand and you witness the change you know people study a sector of area over a very controlled amount of time and then they give you a report but they're not seeing the full story and, and you know sometimes so it's good to have that back and forth yeah that's that's where it too uh science takes a lot of criticism because um, you're always like well who is the scientists and what are what are the <laughs> scientists doing do they have a baseline and how are they getting their data are they just standing on the dock and asking a fisherman for his catch when like yeah we've been diving and i can tell you right now there's like that is not a fair example of what's down there like there's some giant you know or whatever <laughs> but it's always interesting because there's just seems like there's not a lot of information I think we've just been doing stuff so for such a short amount of time. We don't really have mm -hmm. a baseline. They're still trying to get a baseline. But then yeah. when everybody gets pissed is because they say there's this baseline and then people argue because, no, I've seen this, I've seen that. Uh, how many years of data? Um, yeah, it's going to be real interesting. As the years go on and we have the technology, we have um, – mm -hmm you know, cameras on all of us, like going diving to see if that, what kind of data and what kind of change in thinking that helps with everybody, like as far as what's yeah. normal, you know? Oh, no, um, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But it, I think it's interesting too, when you go on trips and you go to places where there's like not that much human uh, interaction, I guess, with mm -hmm. the animals and, it's decimated too. And you're like, what the hell? Oh, because that chain yeah. reaction of the Chinese fleet's been off here 300 miles away and they're taking all mm -hmm. of this. And then, or you go somewhere and it's just absolutely loaded and you're like, why can't we just like keep our hands off stuff for just yeah. like five years and let me have at it <laughs> like later on? Um, but, that, but that leads me to, do you have any trips or any goals or things that you want to try to do in the future with spearfishing or? Just oh, keep definitely. Doing thing. No, I, I've, I've, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record with everybody else. You know, 2020 ruined everything. It was the, it was the big year. You know? <laughs> but honestly, though, you know, the last couple of years, my buddy and I had been. Um, he did get a boat not too long ago. He's got an 18 foot fish right, and he's run it to Santa Cruz Island a couple of times. Thing um, skips across the water, no problem. And we had plans of trying to get over there and find some yellowtail and sea bass hunting and things. And, you know, just getting some better water. And then, of course, you know, bug diving. He's actually in Santa Barbara now, um, doing some shore diving, I think, a couple hours ago. But, um, you know, with the year, I've been working from home now since March 5th. And then, you know, not only just the young kids and schedules and things, but now I'm teaching second grade. <laughs> I don't know if you have any of the virtual learning. <laughs> yeah. Three, I got three kids and 
my wife's getting the brunt of it because she's working from home, but I'm still going to work. And it's like, she's trying to do these meetings and then, Hey, I don't understand this. And I'm like, I don't understand that. Like I don't <laughs> been in school a long time. Oh uh, yeah. You know, I was going to say all that aside, you know, um, a couple goals, you know, connect with some bigger fish, you know, it'll happen. Um, I, I used to be really fired up about it years ago and, and I've really just kind of come to accept like, this is my, this is my diving now and won't be my diving forever. You know, my passion for the sport isn't going to go away just because I can't connect with a nice, you know, 30 pound yellowtail under a kelp patty or something. But when it happens, you know, I'll be so stoked. So just something to look forward to. It keeps me fired up, you know, keeps the hunger going. <laughs> uh, that's a good point, man. Like, uh, I have a lot of friends ask me like, what's this? And what's your biggest, this and biggest. And they were all like really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I was very much like like you like you are. I just dove in my little kelp field and yeah. whatever swam in front of me. I mean, I guess I could have been better at diving, get white sea bass more often, or you know, see them more often. But really, it was just about going out, spending time in the ocean, shooting something, and bringing it home and eating it, and trying to figure yeah. out a way to make fish taste good. That was a hard thing for me, like for a long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love the hunting, you know. So yeah. I just and. I think when you spend enough time in the ocean too, you, you kind of, uh, it's like a second home where you go down and you start yeah. to understand how all these little, even the little animals you don't even shoot, you know, it's like, yeah. Oh, you do this and you do that. And this is like, this is Larry, the, you know, whatever. And this is, you know, <laughs> you just start like, we had lobsters, like pet lobsters, Larry and Lola that we had that hung out at the same spot. Like, um, for that season or whatever it was. And we didn't actually yeah. eat them because we had them. We, we caught these two lobster. I'll, I'll just be just, <laughs> we caught these two <laughs> lobster. They're rather large and kept them and we had decided to grow them. This is years ago, grow them like just for the hell of it. And two milk <laughs> crates, like we zip tied two milk crates together off our pier we're at work. And then every morning we put a little fish in there, you know, and then somebody bothered to look up how long it takes for a lobster to get to really, really big size. And it was like, oh, maybe like, I mean, they were big, but we were like, we're going to make like a 15 pound, you know? And so after the season, like we took pictures with Larry and Lola and then we went and I had this, we had this little spot that nobody really would go to. It's, it's I don't want to say it's secret or whatever, but it's just a little, or a little like nook in the, in the reef and, we put Larry and Lola there and uh, yeah, it's just fun. But you have all these stupid relationships with like just random types of fish too. Yeah. And I think absolutely. you just, yeah, I think you just get that from just spending all the time underwater, you know? Oh, I mean, totally. I, I, we were talking about it yesterday. As soon as we got on the water and we saw what the conditions were, we looked at each other. We're like, Hey, we're just, we're going to have a good time. Sometimes you put a little pressure on yourself. I only have two hours. I got to go find something. And it's like, yeah, let's just go have a good time. So I see senorita fish. They always distract me. Um, there's a couple cool fish, like a kelp rock, or not a kelp rock fish. It's called a, a giant kelp fish. And they are exactly the color of kelp, like exactly that kind of greenish yellow, a little bit of brown. They look exactly like kelp. I probably swam by 100 and didn't see them. But when you finally see one, and get some video of it it's awesome these things are so camouflaged it's incredible yeah even uh, their fins it, have like little kelp like exactly yeah, yeah it's crazy yeah. man um you know that kind of stuff you see an octopus now i'm not like the guy off netflix where i'm going to go back every day for a year and visit the with octopus. the dolphin <laughs> the guy with oh with the, yeah yeah there was one where a guy with but, a dolphin um, he swam out and swam with this wild dolphin. Did you see that one? This was like years ago. IMAX. No, I didn't. Something. He had like a pet dolphin. Like it was a rogue male dolphin that was causing problems, and so he was pretty much on this little. I was put in charge of it, so he'd swim out every day and would play with the dolphin and like whatever. Just had this relationship over the years, like we just leave awesome. all the tourists alone. So he just did that. Like, that's a pretty cool <laughs> job. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to be in the water with anything like that with a dolphin or a marine mammal, but a couple of guys, I saw a video yesterday of a guy, um, his name's Ryan Sampson. He goes by Slam Squatch on Instagram. And he, I think he was diving Big Sur. And uh, I, they look like Pacific 
white-sided dolphins maybe or porpoises one of the two but they cruise right by them you know that kind of experience is pretty incredible so yeah i love that stuff i mean i never get used to it we used to joke around at work we'd have a dolphin next to the boat be training it and then there'd be like a school of dolphins going by and everybody'd be like oh wow wow like and it's like there's a dolphin right here but like it's just something about seeing them in the wild you know so do you have any particular places in mind you want to like try to travel to like mexico or yeah i mean um obviously the islands I'd love to get to the Coronados. I haven't had a chance to get over there. And then, of course, Baja. I see, you know, I've watched a million Baja videos. Yeah. It, it just looks uh, it looks so awesome. But also, you know, my father-in-law spent a lot of time down there spearfishing and bike diving back in the day. He sold me trips. And, um, you know, it's there's California has so much to offer. Um, it's hard for me to really think outside of there. Uh, one day, I'd love to get to South Africa, you know, try some diving. Um, New Zealand, mostly because those areas, they seem so similar to California, but so different at the same time. A hundred percent. When yeah. you hear about the kingfish, like giant yellowtail, but it's like, okay, it's just like our yellowtail, but bigger. And then what other things going on down there? Cause it looks just like, it looks like California. I mean, you mm -hmm. can tell the species of certain uh, plants are different. Yeah. It lures you in kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you had a, your story, your great white story, was it you that had the, you were down in the islands and you had that great white roll up to you? Did you have oh, something yeah. like that? How was that? Let's talk about that. It's good yeah, for good biz. Was, uh, yeah, that was, um, you probably know the area, Talcott Shoals. Uh-huh. On the front side of Rosa. Um, diving there on the piste uh, every year. Um, up until about two years ago, we did went on the piece. My my father-in-law, brother-in-law, and a bunch of uh, same group did some bug diving on scuba. Um, I was glad I was on scuba that day too. Um, the year before, in 2017, we saw two white sharks at Talcott, and they told us that they were starting to come around. They cruised a couple divers, and then 2018, um, when I saw this one, it was the first dive of the last day i think it was sunday november 18th i have a weird thing with numbers i can remember <laughs> um got in the water go down the danker line you know just you know cruising to the bottom it's like 55 feet deep and i looked to the left and this guy was about he looked i knew he was longer than you know a basketball hoop is tall 10 foot and with his tail he was at least 12 foot um a couple guys who you know dive the islands regularly is like oh that's a small one <laughs> It's like, fuck, well, he looks yeah. huge to me. <laughs> but um, no, nah, he wasn't really paying attention. And he just, he cruised by and kept going. And so, you know, right away, I turned my camera on and started chasing after him. I couldn't help myself. Oh, man, I, I got to get some video of this quick. And then he hooked a right and came back and would circle a couple times right in front of me. Um, probably, I don't know, 30 feet away and presented you know full broadside and i could see his eye kind of looking at me but he just cruised slow then he went off hovered over a couple more divers for about 20 minutes came back again one more pass and i have a video on my instagram that's um pretty good one of him kind of cruising by and then he disappeared swam off i waited about five minutes didn't see him and i literally was right next to the boat the whole time which is the best part so as soon as it was time to turn my back to him, <laughs> then it was a short swim. <laughs> right. Well, are you familiar with the uh, the Shark Tracker app um, for your phone? What is it? It's uh, Expedition White Shark. I'm looking I, at it I, right I, now. I've heard of it. I haven't uh, downloaded it, but I've heard of it, yeah. So it's funny because if you pull it up, like I literally do this all the time because I just geek out and all this stuff. Um, that spot you're talking about, the, the Shoals, it's like there's a great white there and he just hangs like he just there's little <laughs> pinpoints of him going back and forth like the front side or, or um, I guess the north side of the islands. Yeah, just he just bounces in between that that thing back and forth. It's a male and he's like 12 feet or something like that. But That's yeah, I was, <laughs> it was hilarious because you just mentioned that I was like, oh, I think I just saw that dude last night. No. Uh, looking at that stuff. It's always interesting. But it's I think the other side of it that's kind of interesting how really disinterested they are in yeah. for the most part in us you know 
I, I've seen it with other sharks too. It's like they want aquatic animals. They don't really want you. It's just when you have good viz, it's, it works in your favor. But when you yeah. don't have good viz, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when I saw him, the presence I felt, if I had felt threatened, I wouldn't have swam after him. Obviously, I would have been like, oh, shit, you know, let's get back to the boat. But he just didn't give a shit about us at all. And he was like, I'm here, you know. So I was like, cool, I'm going to get my camera. <laughs> it was just a really cool experience, you know, once in a lifetime. Um, around here, diving, I hope I don't run into a white shark, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, a couple guys. Um, it's, like, it's such a cool experience. But, you know, talking about hearing guys explain white shark behavior, who you know, you understand it well. Um, you know, the bite that I'd likely probably give would be some sort of investigative, you know, investigative type thing, um, grabbing me, what the hell is this in the kelp? Um, and that's why I dive with a, uh, you know, a tourniquet. Um, if you get bit in one of your arms or one of your legs and, you know, being in the military, I would hope I would be able to, you know, keep the wherewithal to either help my buddy or help myself um, to be able to either apply it. And even if I don't, why not have it in the, anyways? I mean, um, we, to your point, I don't have a boat. I can't swim back to shore and get it. Um, and if you know how to use it and you know how to apply it, it's real quick. So we've developed a quick system where we put it on the front of our belt. Either one of us can pull it off quick. It'll pull right off. I use a quick little piece of bungee cord as a double wrap. And then we use the cat tourniquet, and then that can be applied quick. Um, and we've kind of talked through as a buddy, you know, all right, here's what I'll try to do. You, know, you, you talk and prep and, you know, if you're able to uh, to save yourself or save your buddy, you know, it's good to be prepared. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the first time and it worked, you know, tourniquets, training and all that stuff, we talk about it, you know, and we, you know, we have them with us. And uh, I heard somebody at the last San Diego Freedivers meeting, I think a couple of meetings ago, um, the last one for me, but he uh he was saying he dives with a tourniquet and at first i was like you're like terrified you must be really terrified like sharks and then i thought like well i mean and then my always thing is like oh, i can use my float line as a tourniquet but yeah realistically speaking you're talking about you know time you're bleeding out yeah. like yeah. and the wherewithal okay you're losing blood are you gonna yeah. be like you know um and especially in your area up there, it definitely seems like a smart investment to try to figure something out like that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've, I've asked a lot of, a lot of guys, um, you know, they're, they, uh, they don't wear them. You know, it's a personal thing. But for me, um, you know, it's, it's worked well. It, um, it doesn't come off. I've, I've dove with it on the front part of my belt, probably 50 dives, got it caught up and then never lost a thing. I have the same tourniquet, just rinse it with fresh water, keep it out of the sun, you know, so it doesn't, so it actually works, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing, but. Yeah, because I talk about um, when I was doing the thing about diving in murky water um, for the, the Noob Spiro guys. Um, so if you don't listen to New Spirit, listen to them. They're great stuff. Oh, uh, I've listened to that. Oh, it's uh, phenomenal. Read, so. It's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> great. Yeah. He, uh, Isaac, I talked to him about diving in Merck through the, you know, military diving in work, shitty areas. Nobody wants to dive anyways. But uh, mm -hmm. I would say minimize your gear. But in that situation, like you're saying, there's a way to, to minimize drag and, and it yeah. catching. And it's kind of a sure is an easy it's an easy thing to carry that will definitely help save your life and you're going to wish you had yep. it if something were to happen for sure like yeah. i said especially in that area up there um so what are the main seasons up in that area that you dive you dive year round you try to dive year round pretty much or yeah it's mostly year round um in the fall and the winter um if you know kind of species you know their seasonal patterns and things a lot of these, these fish, rockfish, and especially cabazon and lake cod, they move in shallow um, to spawn. 
And, you know, that's when the big ones come in. So you get a chance at a better fish. But at the same time, you're also plugging fish that may be full of, you know, a sack of you know, 2 million eggs or something. So that's the trade-off. But you can't lift skirts underwater. So <laughs> that's it. you just kind of, you go for it. Um, and then, um, you know, halibut seem to be really been showing up around May, June, July seems to be the best month. Um, but the water was warm here for a while. We still have 60 degree, 60 degree water warm, but. <laughs> I was gonna ask you, what's what's your water? Yeah, 60 is about the warm, what? 60 is about the warmest thing gets up there, 62? Uh, we had, I wanna think back to September, maybe August, September, there was uh, a patch of water that was like 66, 67 degrees. Wow. Real warm. Um, near Capitola and Aptos, that area, if you're familiar, uh, that's where the water gets real warm, right in the back of the bay. Santa Cruz, I'd say on average, it's like 55, 58. Um, uh, a little bit warmer than Big Sur or Carmel because it's so shallow for such a long time. I mean, you got to go a mile offshore to hit 100 feet. But in Carmel, you can have 100 feet within a stone's throw of the shore. So that upwelling, that water gets cold. And I think earlier in the year, around March, April, I had water in Big Sur and, you know, South Colorado area that was around 39 degrees, 40 degrees. Yeah, I, so I was going to say something about that because I know from surfing, um, I was going to say I've seen it in the 40s up there. Like, yeah. Yeah, just cold. because of the updwellings, or the straight cliffs. People don't yeah. think about that when it comes to California, but, like, that area is freezing. Yeah, so I, I have two mil three, four, and five mil booties for different situations. Yesterday, I wore two. Um, you know, in those situations, I wear, I wear a five, seven mil suit. I kind of have a, an odd philosophy to wetsuit. I like to stretch as much life out of it as possible, and I will do whatever it takes to not buy a new one. <laughs> so no, That's not an I'll, odd philosophy at all. It's called being a parent. And uh, I just, re I'm going through that right now. They're like, dude, you've had that wetsuit forever. I was like, yeah, it's, it's warm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't care what it looks like. Uh, I don't, I'm, if I'm not cold, then I'm fine. And what I'll do is I'll even, you know, apply like a layer of neoprene cement to the chest or areas where I'm banging up against the reef and things just to stretch it out as long as possible. So I think I bought a, one of those JBL ghillie suits about three uh -huh. years ago and still using that thing uh it's work it works great <laughs> yeah it's funny because uh, i got the same rife suit in every picture from like the last five years i think i don't know uh <laughs> i think this year is gonna be the year i get a new suit because it's it's <laughs> it's definitely turning about a three mil i don't know uh, yeah that, yeah that's the other thing too <laughs> yeah um so yeah i just well eric thank you so much for spending time uh, yeah, absolutely. Meeting, talking and being on, and sharing your kind of story, your style of diving up there. Um, we've got to have you back and I hope you get a chance to get out and, uh, get out of, uh, central California, get in that warm yeah. 65 degree water somewhere else and dive, <laughs> take it to Baja Definitely. or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the list. So, um, hopefully next year's the year, uh, no excuses. So if my, I'm going to my wife will listen to this, so hopefully she'll uh, be like, oh, wow, maybe he deserves <laughs> 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 Well, the thing about Baja, I think that's so unique, is you can get away with that trip for like 400 bucks, 500 bucks, yeah. like for three days of diving, you know? That I can swing, like we can do yeah. that. Like, especially if you come back with a few hundred pounds of fish, like that tends to <laughs> yeah. smooth things over. Yeah. All right, well, thanks, Eric. I appreciate it, brother. Hey, hey, thanks, Brett, for having me on, and uh, I'm going to keep listening. All right, that concludes the show for today. I just want to say thanks again uh, to Eric for being a guest on the show and sharing his experiences with us. And if you'd like to support the show even further, you can go over to our Patreon page, www.patreon forward slash Spear Factor, and donate to the show to keep it going. And I just want to give a big thank you to the sponsors. Um, of the show, Hot Rod Spear Guns, Chimera Spearfishing, inventors of the Side Slip, Acaso Cameras, and One Drop Spearfishing. All those guys, uh, thank you so much. And go over to the website, www.spearfactor.com, and check out the deals that they have provided for Spear Factor listeners. 
Everybody enjoy yourselves and dive safe. Thanks again. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.